0: Good morning, and we're very, very happy that you're here with us this morning. You're gonna meet a whole team shortly, but I do, um, I'm gonna have the team go ahead and pull up some chairs here, and we, uh, we actually need double or triple the space of all the things we wanna show you, but that's okay. We're, uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna just do this in a small space, and we're gonna have a good time. We're gonna learn a lot of things. So, um, all right. We are a multidisciplinary team from here at Florida Hospital for Children, and we specialize in childhood obesity uh, prevention and treatment. So of course kids today are overweight. The backpack adds 40 pounds. A Little bit of humor, right? To a, but a potentially very serious topic. You don't think my mic is on. Is my mic not on? Oh, it's just for the recording. Okay, perfect. Okay, perfect. I remember the exact moment when I became aware of my body and my weight. I was about 11. My dance teacher was looking right at me and said, suck in your stomach. I'm 13 years of age. I weigh a massive 165 pounds. I'm so sick of being fat, being teased, and not being able to fit into any nice trendy clothes. Please help me, sometimes I feel like I'm drowning." So childhood obesity is very real, as you just heard from these teenagers. We're just going to give you a little bit of statistics, starting with Florida, simply because we're here, but actually on this particular website, and I'll I'll, uh, tell you exactly which one it is in a few moments, you can actually look up each of your states. And as a matter of fact, who is from Florida? Anybody here from Florida? Give me an idea where you're coming from.
1: Curaçao.
0: Curaçao. Massachusetts. 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 Missouri. Missouri. I was born in Kansas Mississippi. City. Minnesota. Amsterdam. Mississippi. Maine. Mississippi, Maine. Curaçao. All right. Very nice. Where do Guadeloupe? <laughs> Brazil. Bra- Brazil. Yeah. Very nice, okay good. So on, this is actually the website I'm gonna give you, is simply um, related just to, you know, what's from the United States, but it's okay. A lot of it can actually be translated to what's happening across the world. So in Florida, we are the 29th most obese state in the nation. 20 years ago, no state actually had an obesity rate above 15%. Now, two out of three states have obesity rates above 25%. And since 1995, obesity rates have doubled, childhood obesity has almost tripled across the country. This is the website right here called healthyamericans.org where you can actually click on your particular state and look at your statistics. Florida, for example, has a, a childhood obesity rate of 18.3% as of last year. But if you take childhood the kids that are obese and overweight together then the statistics are actually estimating somewhere between 35 to 46 percent of our kids are either overweight or obese so they're not at a healthy weight the chances of becoming an obese adult are great if we have a child that's starting with already being overweight or obese at the time that they are um, in a child Those at greatest risk, we're actually more and more seeing that the um, childhood obesity rate is now actually extending across all cultures, ethnicities, and ages. However, there are some that are still more prominent. Lower income, lower socioeconomic status in general, Hispanics, African-Americans, and Native Americans. Kids ages 6 to 11 is number one, and number two is the teenage group and girls and women and now rapidly teenage boys as well does family matter does it matter what happens at home absolutely if one parent is obese the child has a fifty percent chance of becoming an obese adult if both parents are either overweight or obese that statistic jumps up to eighty percent so we have children that are overweight and obese okay Is there anything more to that? Absolutely. On top of the health problems that can be associated on top of the obesity, what happens is there are health problems that can also be associated with things and some are very serious. We we have, for example, problems with self-esteem, self-confidence. The kids do not make eye contact these days very much. So we also see problems with sleep apnea, problems sleeping. It's impossible to be at a healthy weight if you're not getting the sleep that you need. And Dr. Pratt will talk a little bit about that, but you also um, will also touch on that more because uh, it's very, very difficult to get to a healthy weight if you're not sleeping well. Problems with asthma, gallstones. We were never seeing liver disease in children and in kids. And now we're starting to see what's called fatty liver disease in children, where the liver is starting to be affected. We see problems such as uh, early heart disease, problems with cholesterol, and triglycerides. Does anybody know what this is? Other than um, Mr. Photographer earlier? (laughs) It's an example of two arteries. What's the big deal about arteries? What do arteries do? Let's go back to basics. What do arteries do? Carries blood and blood and oxygen, right? So what's the difference between these two arteries? One is blocked. With what? Fat. Cholesterol, triglycerides and other things that can accumulate there. So what's the big deal? Why are we even talking about this cholesterol and fat being here? You need to avoid it and it kills, why? If you have an artery like this that's going to a heart, that's called a heart attack. If you have an artery like this that's clogged that gets to the brain, what's that called? A stroke. stroke. So, we are starting to see even preteens with arteries that look like this. That is the danger and that is where we have to start making a difference from before before it even happens. We start to see hip problems, joint problems, knee problems, foot problems. um, Type two diabetes. We didn't used to see type two diabetes at all in children. And now we're definitely seeing more and more insulin resistance, which is called a pre-diabetes or full on type two diabetes, which does require insulin shots, regular checks of sugars, just as if they were adults. So what is the response of the pediatric medical community? We have this urgency, we have this epidemic, what has the medical community done? The medical community, the American Academy of Pediatrics specifically, has actually wanted the physicians to come back to basics. What does that mean? Not only do we look at weight, and not only do we look at height, but we look at weight and height together. And they want us to do that at every single uh, well child check, so at least once a year and when you take your weight and you take your height together and you plug it into a, spe- a special formula that's called the BMI the body mass index so pediatricians are asked to check this on a regular basis the green area is that in this colorful chart is really what physicians look at from the time they're two years old until the kids grow up to be about 20 years old and then they move on to see the adults or the dark side, that's what I call the dark side, the adult side, just because I'm a pediatrician. And And so the green side, actually, the green part is where we like to see the kids growing normally. And you'll see that it varies because they grow. They grow taller. They do need to gain weight, but we need to kind of follow the trends to make sure that they're gaining weight at healthy rates. The yellow level. That part right there is considered overweight, medically overweight. The red area is considered medically obese. So when a pediatrician puts all the numbers right here—the weight, the height—and then puts the dot right there on that chart, whether it's here, they're at a normal rate, excellent. Right here, they've got a—they've got an—it's um, kind of like a like an alert that says watch out, we have to watch this child a little more closely, and this one on the, in the red area, we've got to do something faster. The American Academy of Pediatrics came up with these recommendations. They also came up with a really nice pie chart, or a really nice chart that's actually like a flip chart for pediatricians to know uh, what to do and to have better guidance. They also then actually even took those steps a little bit further and further defined what do pediatricians do at well care visits? What do pediatricians do that they can do beyond what they would do at well care visits? And thirdly, what can they do when they just can't help the family as much as they wanted to within their primary care setting? And that is where Healthy 100 Kids comes into play. We also are involved, not only um, as as a tertiary care center, we're actually also involved in something nationally where not only are we looking to work with physicians and pediatricians to give them even more information of what to do, for example, with fatty liver disease. What are the protocols? There are no set protocols at this point in time for physicians to know what to do. So this is one thing that we're able to do. So taking the pediatric medical community's response a little bit further, I'm going to just dive in a little bit to tell you what Florida Hospital for Children did. About, two, about four years ago, the process started where Florida Hospital for Children um, had this um, idea to be able to help children that have problems with overweight and obesity and their families to give them the support to know what to do other than just go exercise and eat better. What does that mean? So about four years ago, the the Children's Hospital actually started going into the process of, okay, let's try and get down to the nitty-gritty with families and see how we can further provide support. Two years ago, we all came into the picture, or the team came into the picture, and, uh, and we actually started what's called the Center for Child and Family Wellness. Which is the practice side of Healthy 100 Kids, which is that initiative of helping our children live to more than 100 years of age. Why? Because childhood obesity is actually threatening the longevity of our children. So, our kids in this generation are not expected to live in this point in time if we don't intervene as long as their parents or grandparents. So at that point in time was where the combination of Healthy 100 Kids Florida Hospital for Children and Center for Child and Family Wellness came into play to develop this childhood obesity uh, treatment and prevention program. So I'd like to introduce the team because you're actually going to hear from each one of us. And one of the neat things and unique things about uh, this particular program is not only each one is you'll get to know them and their personalities, but that we are actually all under one roof we have currently over six hundred families that we have been working with already in the past year and a half plus and amazing changes are seen and I'll I'll tell you a little bit about some of our families and some of our kids and the program a little bit later this is part of our school launch last year we actually developed a health and wellness curriculum that now this in January is starting to go out into the schools. so every month these kids are actually learning about health and wellness and what to do to stay healthy. So here's a silly picture of our team. It's one of my favorites. And um, my job is to actually work with, the, be the privileged one to work with the team as a bariatric pediatrician. So I'm a pediatrician and I specialize in weight management for children and adolescents. Then we have Dr. Indira Pratt, who is our psychologist, our child clinical psychologist. Russell who is our exercise physiologist. You do have a last name, Russell Jackson. Russell Leroy Jackson. <laughs> Lindy Moore, our other exercise physiologist. We've got two. And Tamara Sims-Dorway, our dietitian.
1: Thank you for having us. It feels so weird to be all, all mic'd up, but... And can I get a little clap of applause for bringing you some food? <laughs> just, just joking, just joking. Okay, first they have to taste it. Okay, so as Dr. Falls told us earlier, 20 years ago, childhood obesity was really not a huge issue like it is now. It's called an epidemic, so that is very serious. So I'm going to review kind of what has happened, um, nutritionally speaking, in the past 20 years to contribute uh, to the childhood obesity rates. Obviously, it's not one thing because if it was, they'd fix it and it would be fine. Portion sizes have increased families don't eat as much together. People are eating on the run more often. They're drinking their calories. They, um, the companies market to our children, even more so than us, so when you go to the grocery store, often you're arguing with the child who wants this really sugary cereal, and you want them to have a healthier choice. And, of course, changes in school have contributed to everything that's going on. Now, the USDA did not necessarily replace the food pyramid, but they introduced the my plate. With the food pyramid, as we know, the base was grains. But the mistake they made was not telling us what grains to eat. So people started eating more bread, they started eating more pasta, and not, necessary, not necessarily whole grains or whole wheat forms of those foods. So with the my plate, it still says grains, even though they tell you now oh, I'm sorry. Oh, the handouts? A couple of people still need handouts. But now they're telling us that they want half of our grains to be whole. Okay? With the dairy, it's supposed to be a lean, uh, low-fat form of dairy. Protein is lean meat, and they're also encouraging meat alternatives. So it's not just eating beef and chicken. It's also eating tofu, hummus, and beans. And fruits and vegetables, as you see, take up half of the plate. So speaking on portions, everyone received the portion placemat. With the suggestions that they give you of the soap and the deck of cards, those are really adult portions or our older teens. When they come to our office, we show them the food models. I saw some people touching these before. They're like, oh, those look so real. But we tell them that they don't carry measuring cups with them, but the children always have their hands with them and their hands grow with them. So your portions start out small and they increase as you get bigger. So with the kids, of course I tell them they want half of their plate vegetables or fruits and vegetables. And as you see with the lunch plate, that's an example of fruits and vegetables for half. Then with their protein, it's supposed to be as big as their palm. So if I have this piece of chicken, you see this is almost too big for me, right? Okay, and for our little five, six, seven-year-olds, obviously this would be too big a portion, but many of them are eating this much, as much as their parents. And then what they really give me the funny looks for is the rice. Because I tell them it's what you could hold in your cupped hand. And they tell me, but my whole half a plate is rice. And I said, well, that's too much for you to eat. Um, most adults would say this is too little for me to eat, especially if you're Caribbean, correct? Yes? Yeah. So. That's how your plate ends up looking, though, and it's also very colorful. We encourage them to work on eating four to five different colors every day, okay? Now, with serving plates, homes in the U.S. obviously used to be smaller, and as time has gone on, they've gotten bigger. So when people buy old houses now that were built in the 20s or 30s, they notice that their dishes don't fit in the cupboards because our plates have gotten bigger. This is the size plate that you should eat out of. It's a 10-inch plate, so 9 to 10 inches. But as you know, most plates are platters now. It would be what you serve from. Similarly, cup sizes, if you're having a party for children, all you can find are the 10-ounce plastic cups in the store. The only other smaller cup you can find is like a little brushing your teeth, rinse your mouth out cup. So most of the kids, we start our program at age six. This is the size cup of juice they should be drinking many of them are not drinking this size. They're drinking much more, and more than once or twice a day. Okay, so portions have changed in the past 20 years. Does anybody know what that is in the picture? A donut, donut, as big as his face. (laughs) But we have a couple of slides on portion changes. So I'm going to quiz everyone. So just shout out the number you think. So a bagel 20 years ago was about 3 inches in diameter. Think of the size of maybe a Chips Ahoy cookie, kind of three inches. Now, a bagel today is double the size, six inches. The calories were 140 calories. How many do you think they are now? Two times. Two times? Okay. 350. Now, that doesn't include your cream cheese that we put on there. Even the low-fat cream cheese is about 40 calories per tablespoon, so. And if you go to, anyone who's been to Einstein's Brothers? they like lather it on. So you're getting way more than one tablespoon. So while you're here, don't go to Einstein. So if you rake leaves in your yard for almost an hour, you'd burn the extra calories they've added on in those 20 years. Okay, how about a cheeseburger? Do you notice now it has you know, double the size burger and there's the Whopper. There's the, the double Whopper, you know, you even can get three pieces of meat on a sandwich. It's huge. So 333 calories 20 years ago. Any guesses about today? It's, yep. it's about 590. It can reach 1,000 though at, um, what is the burger place? Five Guys. Five Guys. You can hit 1,000. It's very few of the Five Guys items on their menu that are less than 500 calories. Even their fries are up there, almost 1,000. So to burn those extra calories, you could lift weights for an hour and a half. You'd be really, really sore, but you would have burned your calories. And the, the soda. The soda that should be treated as a dessert that is a regular part of our meals now, um, 85 calories 20 years ago with the nice bottle that you, it's a collector's item now, to the 20 ounce, which is how many calories do you think? 250, 250 calories. So, and just to give you a visual, we do this with the kids, but one of the programs, when I teach the nutrition class, I've collected uh, various bottles that they brought in drinking, and we measure the sugar from them. So from a Coke can, it's about 10 teaspoons of sugar that they're drinking from this one can, okay? Now, some of the kids say, well, we or the parents even, we don't drink ju- uh, soda, we just drink juice. Well, they forget You know, the juice has, apples have natural sugar. And you, when you're juicing this, you're taking out the fiber. All you're getting is the natural sugar. And of course, they add a little water because it's concentrated now. So again, this bottle is 14 teaspoons of sugar. And I also asked the children, well, how many apples do you think we'd have to squeeze to make this bottle? Anybody from up north know? Six. Six? Mm, I think it might be, you think it's six? on the apple. On the apple, okay, how big they are. But even if they ate six large apples, they'd be really, really full. However if they drink this, they can eat, they can drink another one. It doesn't register in our bodies to make us feel full. So a lot of them are drinking down their calories very easily. So to burn those soda calories, you could work in the garden for 35 minutes, which I think that's doable, but depends on how many sodas you've had for the day. And popcorn at the movies. Now they really push the the tub. You know, you get the better deal if you buy the tub and the soda together than if you buy a small popcorn. They encourage you to buy the larger one. Any clues on the popcorn? Oh, you guys have the slides. (laughs) <laughs> I just realized that,
0: <laughs>
1: like, wait a minute, no. Now, with the, if you get the butter on it, then again, you're hitting up to 1,000, 1,200 calories in the popcorn, okay? So again, doing water aerobics, you will look like a prune after an hour and 15, however, you will have burnt it off. And if you want to see, they have an entire quiz online at the National Institutes of Health website, where you can click through and take the quiz, it's really fun. But it's also very eye-opening. We also have the models, I'm blocking again, like the spaghetti. This would've, this is kind of big for our younger children even. My six year old, this would be too much probably for her to eat. But it's not uncommon to see servings as big as this and for the kids in our program to tell us this is more like what they eat. And if you go out to restaurants, uh, macaroni grill or pasta type restaurants, you get an even bigger plate of pasta, okay? So we're, we're not even used to seeing small servings anymore. It really throws us off like you're starving me because you're not giving me enough food. Now with family meals, they've done research that shows that when families eat meals together at least four times a week, they tend to eat healthier because parents, believe it or not, want to do the best for their kids overall. So they try to prepare healthier meals. Um, Kids also don't get into trouble as often when they have family meals more so because you're talking to them at the dinner table And you're learning about what happens at school and they feel like they have a bond with you and they can share information with you Now we don't have family meals as often because schedules kids are overbooked. They have soccer. They have football They have tutoring um, They have what else music lessons piano so afternoons are really booked parents are working longer hours um, jobs are hard to get, so you will work whatever you can. And you may not get home until 7 o'clock, right? <laughs> we have our last appointment at 6.30, so we often don't get home until <laughs> 7 or 7.30. Um, and we have families that come in don't know how to cook. We have one family, the mom says, well, you said tacos are something I can do really quick, but how do I make tacos? I'm like, well, buy the shells just cook the meat. You know, they they honestly, some of them are totally clueless. They don't know what to cook or they don't know how to cook. And then often with our older teens, they are either watching TV or in their rooms eating. They really have to be encouraged to come to the table to eat with their family. And we also have some parents that work at night and so the kids have to fend for their own and they're eating while they're watching TV. And of course, what happens when you eat and watch TV? You eat more more because you're not paying attention to your food. You're just kind of shoveling it in as you're paying attention to the program. So those are all reasons that we talk to our families and try to find out where in their lives we can make changes if possible. We're not asking them to quit their jobs, obviously, but they're not working usually seven full days a week. So we can get two meals out of you, even if the children and the families are cooking together, that's still an improvement. With convenience, do you like the lady looking crazy over here? With the fork and that's because she's waiting for her meal to be delivered but you can of course you can go oh I'm sorry you can go to how do I go backwards no, you can't. I can go forward aha uh-huh. thank you I'm the least technologically savvy on the team um, but of course you know you have takeout restaurants drive-throughs you can drive up to a restaurant they'll come to your window take your order and then bring you the food in your car you never have to walk which is incredible. And of course, the majority of the restaurants deliver to your home, to your office, or anything like that, you just call. They now, the delivery and to-go program, a lot of restaurants, they bond together, and so they list like 10, 20 restaurants that will deliver to you. And of course, we talked about drinking your calories. Do you like the sugar cubes there? and water a lot of the parents don't like water so they don't give their children water and a lot of the children say "Well, water doesn't taste good it doesn't taste like anything it tastes like dirt you know they really have those taste buds tuned to that sugary taste so encouraging to drink water is almost a struggle and if they do drink it the only way they're getting it down is if they put the crystal light or the Mio in it so they feel like they can't drink natural water the 100 calorie packs great marketing idea but if you eat five of them you're still not doing well. And the chips, the sna- uh, snack cereal bars, having kids snack on just fruits and veggies is a thing of the past. Okay, so we're going to make a trail mix, so everybody put your stuff down. And in an orderly manner, please come grab a Ziploc bag and make your healthy snack of natural foods. <laughs> no. we're gonna try
0: to we're gonna put one table on Okay, that'll work.
1: That'll work. So the, if you're allergic to peanuts, please do not get them, okay? She's a pediatrician, not an ER doctor. But the peanuts, if you look at the ingredients, they're unsalted and it just says peanuts. Be very careful because if you buy the dry roasted, they add in cornstarch, MSG, sometimes corn syrup. So you really have to look at those labels. You think you're just getting peanuts and it's like 10 other ingredients in there. And then of course, the dried fruits, always a good one, raisins and sunflower seeds soy nuts so your children can make the snack parents can make it they can make enough maybe for a week zip lock them up and put them in easy access so when the kids come home from school they can just grab a bag and eat those so those are things you can do at home or even in your youth groups you can provide healthy natural snacks because you may be the only one introducing them to some of those foods Okay? oh yeah and you can add uh... coconut flakes if you like coconut. And most of the kids we did last time didn't like it but I think it's exposure, sometimes they don't want to try new things, but if you get them in a group, you can encourage, they encourage each other to try new things. So, um, Now with schools, a lot of the schools have really long lines. The children only have 30 minutes if they're lucky for lunch, when the high school students tell me they spend 20 minutes of their time in line, so they often skip lunch, which is really bad for the metabolism, that will actually increase your chances of gaining weight or they're going to a vending machine and getting chips or a candy bar or something to tie them over until they get home and when they get home they're starving they grab the easiest thing the first thing they can get and they're eating really fast and when you eat fast you eat more so it's just really a vicious cycle um, even our elementary students you know how if you have six seven even five-year-olds they really dawdle at the table they take their time but our schools are kind of training them now to eat faster and not talk and Hopefully that's something that we can change over time. But processed foods, um, the schools use commodity foods that are sub- the farmers are subsidized by the government. So that's why we're counting ketchup as a vegetable, <laughs> or we're counting uh, mashed potatoes as a vegetable. <laughs> so uh, the the foods are really processed. They get chicken nuggets. Some of the kids, I always ask them, "What did you have the day before?" When they come in, they have these. Um, chicken nugget bowls now, similar to a KFC bowl, where it's the chicken nugget, the mashed potato and corn in the bowl. Pizza, especially the high school students, some of them have pizza every single day, okay? And fruit juice is sometimes offered instead of fruit as their choice of fruit, when we know fruit juice shouldn't count for that. The good news is that with Michelle Obama and the Let's Move campaign, in the next three years, they're gonna phase in where kids should be offered fresh fruit or fresh, fresh vegetables with their lunch, they want to increase the whole grains provided and they want to decrease the calories because some of the meals like the spaghetti is almost 500 calories for the spaghetti meatballs meal it's huge number and you're thinking it's just pasta and, and tomato sauce they don't even give a lot of meat on that but it's very high calorie and I know in the past they've had to do high calorie meals because of the homeless children who only get their meal at school then they're trying to meet the needs of those kids. But then your other children who do get food and snacks are kind of suffering from that. So they're trying to fix those as the best they can. And then this was one of the best pictures I found for um, the school plates. But as you see, this is spaghetti and meatballs and then this hunk of garlic bread. So really, you know, one of these, that's too many of the carbs. And then they had the apple and the green beans and the milk. And a lot of the kids also complain about the quality of the vegetables they eat with the school lunch. They say everything is really mushy, so they don't want to eat the vegetables. And even the milk, drinking the milk to at least get some calcium, some vitamin D, they would tell me the milk is warm or the milk doesn't taste really good. So as parents or youth leaders, if you can get the kids together maybe to create a, community, uh, a student community or a student advocacy board where they can maybe go to the lunch people, the principal, the cafeteria manager, and try and say, this is why you're wasting so much money on food, okay? And where can you make a difference? I just have to say, these are my two kids. And, and we're so proud of ourselves because we've never grown anything, we just grew carrots. <laughs> But um, at church, I don't know, at the church where I used to attend before our pastor passed away, he always said, feed people and they'll come, so we always had a lot of food (laughs) at church. And so what you serve, if you can influence what they're cooking in the kitchen, now some of those people have been in there a really long time and you have to kindly, nicely make suggestions. But maybe if you're, being, if you're serving breakfast, you don't want to have donuts uh, there every, every uh, Sabbath day, or, or, you know, offer some fresh fruit or low fat yogurt, you know, make some changes there. Or you don't want to always have spaghetti dinners and the garlic bread, but no vegetables with it. Now, you can do the salad, but do you know, have you ever noticed how many people pass over? the salad to go for everything else. <laughs> so even doing education sessions about why you want to include the vegetables with your meal. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead.
2: How, how many, how much protein is required for a body?
1: Well, it depends on the body. Of course, um, depends on your weight. Whether you're big or little. Right, but usually what we do is 0. 0.8 times your body weight in kilograms, and that will give you your grams of protein on average that you need. Mm-hmm. Um, like for like for me I would probably use 60 60 grams 60 mm mm-hmm. grams of protein in a day a full day now don't forget bread has about three grams you don't think a bread is having protein and then your beans your fish you may hit up to 15 20 grams of protein with a serving of that so milk has eight grams yogurt has eight grams so it adds up through the day now somebody like Russell. He may, <laughs> he may go up to like 90 because you know he's working out and oh I'm sorry. Any protein. Any protein. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Any protein. Alright anyway education sessions about what's best to provide for your children what's best to provide in the families. Um, community gardens they have one at their school, it's wonderful, Orlando Junior Academy. Um, there's also a lot starting in neighborhoods and at different churches, okay? Make healthy changes one at a time. If we try and change everything, it's so much easier to give up. So we have our children make just one go. Like I said, for one family, it's they're gonna cut back on one soda a day. From three to two, it's manageable. It's not extreme for them. And then create a healthy environment breastfeeding is preventive for obesity so having a nice place for the mother to go and nurse a baby um, during church or during sabbath school is a very good idea okay i'm just a proponent of breastfeeding and also um, having breakfast available a lot of people will get up maybe late or they're running trying to get children ready so they and their children may skip breakfast in order to get to church on time so offering them something within the break is a good idea, because then if you're going to say 11, 12 without eating anything, that's not good for the body either. Okay? And we have a lot of people that will come in and say, well, I went to church, so we didn't eat until one. And then they eat this huge, huge meal. So that's something. Okay? So a healthy environment is really important. And I think that is it for me. Oh, and then our nutrition goals. I think everyone has this on their handout these are just some ideas we try to have them pinpoint specifically because I say what is your goal and they say to eat healthy well that means nothing to me I need you to be as specific as possible so where you all can use this is maybe helping them to pin down a goal that maybe they will work together as a group like especially if you have teens eating a healthy breakfast every morning and tell them to think outside the box breakfast doesn't have to be cereal or a breakfast food pancakes it can be Leftover dinner, heat it up, I mean, maybe not as big. But technically, you're starting your day off, so your breakfast should be one of your larger meals, and you should go down as the day goes on. Um, eating snacks and meals in the kitchen or dining room, not vegging out in front of the TV while they're eating snacks. So these are goals we kind of focus on. We allow them to pick it. We don't tell them what to do, because you want them to be involved and committed to making changes. And they decide, and then they sign, and their parents signs, because it's a group effort. Nothing is just on the child, and it's not just the parent's responsibility. It's the two of them working together. Okay, and Russell.
2: Okay, good. The Effective Exercise Prescription. This is a quote by George Sheehan. Yes. And it's, exercise is done against one's wishes and maintained only because the alternative is worse. <laughs> okay, why use an exercise prescription, okay? The exercise prescription is a guideline developed by the ACSM, which is the American College of Sports Medicine, and which it was developed to allow a patient to have confidence in the safety and the credibility of what it is that we do when we exercise, okay, because there is, always different levels of intensity and frequency at which people exercise or what's best for each one's own body. So it gives a guideline so that we're able to judge what's good for each, for each one of us. Okay, so this is a, a photo of the exercise prescription. It's going to have your, you know, your name and most importantly your ex- exercise frequency, intensity, which is based upon the heart rate, which is in beats per minute, okay, and exercise duration, and minutes, and also your modes of exercise, which are the warm-up, then the work phase, which is most intense, and the cool-down, which is to relax your muscles and also use a lot of stretching as well for that, too. The fit principle. This is, um, teaches you, it's a, it helps you keep up with what type of things you need to check out when you're developing an exercise prescription or when you're actually at the gym. Most of us don't actually take an exercise prescription with us, but we we all want to work out, right? We like to stay in shape, and we all know that it's best for our health. So the FIT principle is going to be frequency, intensity, time, and type of exercise, okay? Then you have your components to the exercise prescription. Now, the exercise frequency, which is, and this is just for the average person, okay, is three to five days per week at an intensity of your target heart rate. This is a calculation on how you would get e- each of your own target heart rate, okay? What you do is you take the number 220. 220. Oh yeah, good. let see what we have. exercise You can fill it out. Oh yeah, okay. Good. Okay, so the formula is the number 220 minus your age, whatever that may be, and then you multiply that by .6, which will give you 60% of that number. Okay? And then you take, start over? Okay. We'll wait till everyone gets a handout. Does everyone have one? Okay. So I'm going to start over. The first aspect to the formula is you take the number 220 and you minus your age, okay, whatever that may be, you take that number, you take the result from 220 minus your age and multiply it by .6. 0.6, which will give you 60% of that number. And that's going to be the low range of your target heart rate range, okay? Then you take the number 220, minus your age again, the result, 0.6, yes, sir. Okay. And you take the result of that number and you multiply it by 0.85,
0: <laughs>
2: yes, sir. Yes. yes, from the first equation, yes sir, multiply by 0.85, which will give you 85% of that number, okay, and that's going to be the high end of your target heart rate range, okay, so those two numbers create a range of where you would like your heart rate to stay in between while you exercise. And when you are... when you are exercising in that target heart rate range, that is when your body is burning calories most efficiently. That's when your body is working most efficiently. And this... this it's funny because this target heart rate range is actually achieved best by low-intensity exercise, like like a brisk walk, instead of, like, a, a sprint, as fast as you can, and the reason this is because low-intensity exercise triggers what's called oxidative ph- phosphorylation. That's when your body uses it runs out of what you've eaten that day, what you've stored up for that day, and it has to use what it's stored up for intense situations or long and long endurance. Okay, and that's when your body burns fat because that's how we create the most energy, which is ATP, inside the body to To really when our body really needs to work so like if in instead of when you're out of the life-threatening situation but you need to keep going for a long duration that's when our body burns fat so low-intensity exercise for a longer durations usually 40 to 60 minutes is how your body burns fat okay so speaking about exercise duration it's best to go for one hour three to five days a week, but that can be, it's also been proven to be effective if you split those up in 30-minute sessions, as long as you total up to about one hour that day in between three to five days a week. Okay, so your mode of exercise is what kind of exercise that you're doing, like as far as you're, whether, whether you're doing cardiovascular exercise or you're doing strength training, Okay. And then your warm-up. This is recommended to be a five to ten, a five to ten-minute slow intensity, not low intensity, but slow intensity exercise. Just a brisk walk on the treadmill, treadmill, or something like that, just to get your body moving, loosen up your muscles, and get your heart rate, let your heart rate begin to increase. Okay. And these recommendations come from the ACSM. Again, the work phase is like I was speaking on, forty to sixty minutes of moderate intensity, and then the cool down is five to ten minutes of slow intensity exercise, okay? Usually a stretch after you've done, after you've gone for your run or your bike ride or your your um, workout on the elliptical, okay? Usually a, a slow stretch is, is good for that. So your completed exercise prescription, which I give, I've given you all a blank one, at the end of it, you'll have all these components. You have your mode of exercise, which will be either Cardiovascular, or whichever you choose, you can combine them. You have your warm-up, your work phase, and your cool-down. And then you have your own um, personalized exercise intensity, which is derived from your target heart rate range. And so most of us don't don't have pulse oximeters that we go and work out with. But there's an easy way to tell. <laughs> there's a, yes, sir. That
1: is enough. That is enough. Thirty to
2: sixty minutes a day. Sir.
1: It is this enough for the 30 or uh, uh, 60, 60 minutes
2: a day? Yes, yeah, 60 minutes for three to five days a week. How much? Three to five days. Three to five of the seven days each week? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because some weeks we're going to be more than we are that's others. Enough. Yes, sir. That is enough. On what Minimum. Minimums. Minimum. Yes. <laughs> you can do more. That, that's not too much. That's not too much. But that's what is needed for your body to maintain itself. Okay? And... So, the talk test. To be able to, to be able to, tell when you're in that target heart range, target heart rate range, for everyone, you can do what's called the talk test. From you know six-year-old child to fifty-five-year-old adult. Any time that after you exercise, you should be able to have a winded conversation. So I should be, yes sir, or I'm I'm breathing hard, but I can still answer questions but if at the end of exercise I can sing a song all the way through then I didn't exercise hard enough, okay? But also... Even after the cool down? Ma'am? No, no, no. No, I don't mean before the cool down. Yes, ma'am. After the work phase. Yes, ma'am. So, but at the same time, and if after exercise I can't speak at all, I can't even answer a question, I was too hard. That's when you were in your, that's working out in your maximal heart rate range, okay? That's reserved for getting away from trouble. <laughs> okay. <laughs> your body doesn't need that on a regular basis. Yeah, fight or flight, yes sir. <laughs> okay. So making it effective, ways to stay accountable. You can use what's called exercise logs where each day you write how long that you did and what exercise that you did and it keeps you, you know, accountable for your how much exercise that you're doing or whether you actually did what you planned on doing for that week. Okay. And also just setting goals. Yes sir.
0: Um, going back to the whole thing about um, the resting heart rate and the low end, high end. Yes, sir. Is there a difference where you're at in it? I
2: mean, in terms of. Efficiency? No, sir. As long as you're. Stay in it. As long as you're in it, yes, because your heart rate is going to go up and down. Right. It's never going to. It's going to fluctuate. It's not going to stay during your exercise. Okay. As so long, you long as you're. Pass it. Once you go past it, you're, you're going to be your body's triggering a different system, and it's going to work harder, but you're going to use. A different type of you can use a different substrate okay
0: so basically you should work towards getting at least the low end
2: yes work toward getting at least the low end that's the plan okay but in general your the, the resting heart rate doesn't be as low as possible to I mean, well in trained athletes their resting heart rate would be lower okay the more the more trained your body is the easier that it the easier that it achieves every day every day work okay
0: trained
2: Train excellently, train, train mean excellent. excellently train, like workout every single day at a certain intensity, okay? And also, so ways to stay accountable, for the second way is setting goals for yourself. Like, not that I want to lose 20 pounds this year, but I want to stay in shape, or I want to work out at least three days a week, okay? So at the end of every week, You should see if you can look back and see, did I work out three days this week, and if not, then you know that you didn't hit your goal, and that can motivate you for the next week.
3: My name is Dr. Pratt, Um, I'm the psychologist with the Healthy 100 Kids program. And I actually need to uh, answer here. All right, is everybody ready? I didn't see you. Uh-huh. What? I'm right here. (laughs) There I am. (laughs) Yes, okay. Um, And like what our other presenters have talked about today, we're a multidisciplinary program, so we really try to uh, work with families from different levels and different aspects of just well-being in, in general. And in terms of getting kids healthy, um, one of the things to consider are the risk factors for for being overweight and obese, as well as the consequences. So, in terms of, I'm not going to cover some of the medical things, but in terms of just the social well-being of our children and the children that we work with, um, kids who are overweight and obese tend to have a lot more family and peer problems. Um, Issues with low self-esteem, body image concerns, um, depression and other type of emotional problems related to just not feeling confident about themselves or comparing themselves to the peers and not feeling adequate. Um, So these are things that we really kind of have to look out for in children because we know that if children are feeling less confident about themselves, it affects the way they view the world and even in terms of their school functioning. If they're holding their head down low and not feeling good about themselves, are they going to be wanting to apply themselves and really be the best they can be in school or in other things they do because really the way they're feeling inside can be really feeling small and, and just not good about themselves. Oops. All right. Some of the important social and family factors we also have to look at, and Tamara kind of talked a little bit about this with regards to family meals and whether uh, the family atmosphere is really conducive to creating good eating habits and good exercise and uh, other habits that we really want to encourage in our kids. Um, And there's many different ways to look at this in terms of just the cultural, the family culture, it could be not only where where you come from as a family, but just the, the culture that's created in one particular family. If mom and dad are used to just, you know, eating meals later and having the kids sit in front of the TV and eat meals and um, not really, you know, have communication or conversation with their kids, that's one particular family culture. It may not necessarily be influenced with where we come from. But in terms of just, you know, having that lack of communication in the family and why we instead try to encourage family meals. It's really important to really find out what our kids are talking about, what they're doing in school, how they feel about themselves. And a good family meal uh, really kind of creates that opportunity to have those conversations um, on a regular basis, if possible. Um, we, we also know that in terms of um, income and socioeconomic status, that there's just increases of of the risk for childhood obesity. There's other parenting factors that we also like to look at and that's really has to do with the amount of control that parents have in terms of encouraging and promoting good eating habits and that's really established at young ages. So I even like to think about when we think about toddlers, they have an innate ability to have to regulate and self-regulate themselves in terms of how much They eat when they're hungry, and when they're hungry, and asking for food when they're hungry. Um, But if a parent comes in and says, okay, well, they just ate an hour ago. They should be hungry. I'm going to offer them something else to eat. And the toddler says, I'm not hungry. I'm not hungry. I don't want anything. But the parent insists, no, you should be hungry. I'm going to offer you this food. What kind of cycle do you think that creates between a parent and child if that continues to happen? Any volunteers to answer that question? What do you think that creates? Uh, hostility that's 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 one part of it too yes what do you think right and that's ignoring their own body signal of hey I'm hungry I need to eat I'm not hungry I don't need to eat right so that just creates a pattern that can evolve over time as the years go by well I'm home there's food in the refrigerator or my brother's eating something so let me go eat something right um, oh, no problem uh, okay All right, so there's different aspects of how parents can influence um, children and their eating behaviors, and that also relates to um, how we model our own eating uh, behavior and the messages we send about eating. So if we at home think, okay, I really don't like vegetables, so I'm not going to cook them for my children, right? What message does that send to our children about vegetables? Not good, right? They don't taste good. They're not worth having in my daily diet, right? Same with fruits and, and just other healthy foods. Or if you promote, okay, I'm going to instead have water, every day when I sit down for dinner, I'm going to have a Coke with my dinner, right? That's, that's the model I'm presenting. And we talk about kids who just don't, they don't like the taste of water. <laughs> you can't even find them drink a little sip of water. Um, but that often comes from the parents not... Having this at home or not doing it as far as drinking water on a, you know and providing the water, okay, um, just to kind of expand upon a little bit what I, I touched on in terms of some of the emotional issues that our children are going through, um, if we look at low self esteem once children start to feel um, not so confident about themselves, it really does have this um, <coughs> kind of trickling effect on the rest of their life. They really start to feel, okay, there's something wrong with my body, or if they're being teased, experienced teasing or bullying in school. Um, there's a lot of focus with, with peers from your early, early ages, as young as four and five, um, with girls even coming out and saying, Oh I feel fat or, you know, I look fat. I'm unhappy with my body. I'm too big for my age. Um, So, this really starts to create a problem really early in youth in terms of how they feel about themselves, how they look at themselves when they look in the mirror, whether they feel proud, whether they don't, whether they feel, you know, really self-conscious. That can affect the, the way they relate to other kids. They may not want to interact with other kids as much because they feel ashamed of themselves. Um, and just in terms of experiencing teasing and, and bullying at school, it's really become an epidemic in our schools. And it's really um, something that's noticed at young, really young ages right now. Kids stand out for being different, especially when they're younger. Um, and when f- kids feel like they're not included in their peers, it really starts to affect self esteem and even their own academic functioning. Okay. And just to expand a little bit, uh, when we worry about kids getting up in their pre adolescent and adolescent years, um, after having many years of just experiencing some really um, unhealthy eating patterns, by the time they reach their preteen and adolescent years, we sometimes get concerned that their eating has really just become very disordered, okay? And that we're talking about just eating solely unhealthy foods or Eating continuously around the clock, eating when they're not hungry. For some kids, they also become concerned if they have those body image concerns. While well, I'm too big, this really has to do with food. I need to stop eating food altogether. Or I need to actually binge and eat food, and then what do they do? You know, you know about binging, right? Right? They throw up. And there's that guilt associated with that process, right? They're taking in food, they really like food, but they know, hey, it's going to make me fat. I need to get rid of it. And we know it's very unhealthy, just biologically and medically speaking as well. Um, But there's a lot of guilt associated with that process. And in terms of even, you know, pre adolescents and and adolescents wanting to take diet pills, and we're gonna get to that as far as media and what the media promotes, but there's a lot of unhealthy um, practices for them to wanna try to lose the weight. Okay. Now with respect to body image, and in our program we really talk a lot about this with the kids, it's really how they perceive themselves and how they perceive they look, how they perceive their body. Um, and it can range from positive to negative, it can vary from day to day, it can vary within a day. Even as adults, we know sometimes we get up, we look in the mirror, we're like, oh, my, I'm not having a good hair day, <laughs> right? Um, but overall, if we have a pretty good body image, you know, we, we feel good about ourselves, we think, okay, overall I look good, I'm happy about myself. But we know that if, if there's body image issues and there's concerns about uh, feeling self-conscious about ourselves, that you know, that we have a different range of how we feel about ourselves that can affect us greatly. Okay, with kids we like to talk about this a lot. We do workshops for kids as well as parents and we focus a lot about the media because not only do peers have a big impact on our kids at school, but they see many, many images. So from billboards to movies, the TV programs they watch, the stars they hear about, they're very, very savvy about those things. Um, So we also kind of let them know really what what the media, um, what the impact of media is on how they feel about themselves. It has a great impact on a lot of children in terms of what they believe is beautiful, what they believe is healthy, what they believe is um, the socially acceptable thing. Um, And oftentimes then the message of really what's important about who they are gets swept away in what's presented in the media. Um, so we often talk about like, their favorite uh, you know, celebrities, their favorite people that they watch on TV, and maybe even relates to toys. We talk about the Barbie dolls, one of the, the first images that young kids are exposed to as far as the action figures and the toys. Um, and what the message sends in terms of this, the body types that these dolls are action figures, what kind of image that presents to kids as, as an ideal of beauty or ideal of being popular, right? And for our teenagers, we talk about the celebrities, and there's a lot that they hear about or see about in school and in the media. Uh, So we talk a little bit about, well, you know, they don't really talk too much about um, the inner qualities of these people and what really make some of the the people that they admire such admirable people, right? It's focused more on the exterior qualities and how many plastic surgeries they've had, and you know, all of the unhealthier things. Um, but we know in terms of research that's um, been done from kids as early as four and five in the preschool ages that you know like I said before kids as young as five girls in particular have expressed um, concerns about being fat or becoming fat and that just gradually increases over time as they um, hit the pre-adolescent and adolescent years where a lot more girls are more conscious about that and have concerns about their weight or wanting to appear thinner And it doesn't escape our boys as well. Um, It tends to happen a little bit later with boys, but our boys, particularly adolescent boys, also have concerns about appearing lean and muscular and having the six-pack of abs that are kind of uh, impressed upon in our culture, okay? and here are a couple statistics. This was a study that was done um, as a national sample of high school and middle school students and they compared overweight boys and girls with non-overweight boys and girls and they used the measure to kind of um, uh, examine body dissatisfaction and there was a significant difference between overweight boys and girls and non-overweight boys and girls in their um, body dissatisfaction and even a difference between the girls and the boys, okay? Higher levels of body dissatisfaction among kids who were um, classified uh, as overweight. Okay. And this goes back to relating to if kids are unhappy with themselves and dissatisfied with their body, they are also going to be more at risk for doing unhealthy things to um, deal with their body dissatisfaction. So whether it's extreme dieting, crash dieting, fasting, uh, wanting to binge, using laxatives, all these things are happening. Um, so it's very important to keep an eye on these things. And this, this highlights um, there's also a difference in, between children who are classified as obese and non-overweight, that the kids who were classified as overweight we're more likely to use some of the more extreme weight loss methods to lose weight. Okay, I'm gonna skip this one here. Okay, so how can we impact uh, children and parents in our communities, in our churches, in our youth groups? It's really examining our own attitudes about body weight shape, our own body image, and how we present ourselves to our kids and the, the kids that we impact. Uh, promoting healthy eating, exercising, that's really important because we have to be the role models for them. If we're not doing it and we're preaching it to them, it's really hard. Kids are very critical of the, of the uh, messages that we're sending them and they look beyond what our words are saying. Um, and also emphasizing the strengths and the wonderful qualities that make our kids special. Um, sometimes they're not highlighted enough. We don't praise kids for hey I really liked how you opened the door for Mrs. you know Mrs. Smith coming in. That was really nice for you to do. A lot of times kids get attention for the acting out behaviors you know or oh you didn't do well in school you know why why did you fail this test? Um, So really in terms of just enhancing our relationships with kids it's important to praise them for when they're doing all those wonderful special things that make them who they are. Another thing, a factor that we have to also look at, especially with our preteens and teenagers, is sleep and how that affects just health in general and how that affects their weight. Um, A lot of teens and preteens right now are not getting enough sleep, and it is also happening more and more with their younger kids, who compete with TV time and video game time, they want to do that instead of going to sleep on time and getting a full night's sleep. We recommend eight to 10 hours of sleep for kids. Um, So it's really important to find out, well, how much video game time are they playing? How much TV time are they watching? We have many kids, and uh, there's many studies that have come out recently that show kids are watching five hours of TV or or using computer video games a day. Imagine five hours a day. That also tells us that they're probably not spending an hour or 30 minutes a day exercising if they're sitting down to watch TV or play computers. Right? Play on the computer. All right. So in terms of what we recommend to families and parents when they come in for our program, it's really reiterating some of the things that um, my fellow presenters have talked about um, and really emphasizing that it's possible for them to develop new health behaviors. A lot of times their confidence coming in is, is low and we need to find ways to encourage and to at least set one good goal for themselves, make it accomplishable and really um, encourage them to um, try at least one new thing and find ways that the family and other, fam- other members, that, um, other adults in their life can support them and encourage them. We also want to stress you know, limiting the TV time, computer time, um, kids getting a good amount of sleep to keep them healthy. It also helps with their academic functioning if they're getting good sleep, they're not falling asleep in class, their attention isn't waning during class. Um, and also just making sure that uh, families aren't rewarding kids with uh, what we call food rewards. <laughs> Um, a lot of times, you'll see even at schools, and a lot of schools do this, is that, oh, they did well in school today. Oh, here's a lollipop, or here's, you know, let's let's have a pizza party because you guys behaved so well this week. Is that the right message to send? <laughs> Why don't we go outdoors and have, you know, a good game day, you know, during our, our you know, or at recess time? Why don't we um, have library time, a special reading time? You know, those are more of the rewards. And if you start really young with kids, they really enjoy those things. If you get them hooked with the food reward, then they will continue wanting to have those as rewards. Okay. All right. In terms of what we call readiness to change, when families come into our program, not every family is different. They come in with, okay, my doctor sent me here and I don't know why. My kid is fine, there's no health problems. We don't need your help. <laughs> then there's other families that will tell you, "I'm scared to death for the health of my child." We need some radical changes, and we're ready. We're committed. We're motivated. Um, so there's a whole continuum of of where people are in terms of being ready to change. Okay, so some examples of that. um, and there's there's certain stages that we kind of ascribe to. Pre-contemplation, this is a patient, like I said before, that comes in and they feel they don't have a problem. Their child is fine, there's nothing wrong with them, and it's really hard as a provider because they tend to not give you much to work with, you know, as far as um, them wanting to set some goals for change. They're not ready, they're not at that stage. So we have to work really gently with these families because Um, they tend to be what we call resistant. They they really don't want to hear too much about, oh, well, you need to do this, right? Contemplation. These are families that are starting to think, okay, well, maybe this is a problem, but I don't know what to do about it, and I'm really not sure if I can actually make some changes okay so this here we can really start having conversations with these families about okay well what are your concerns if you were ready to change what do you think you could work on first okay preparation this is a family who is is more getting ready they they, they feel that there, there's some changes that they probably can make they might need some help with it they need someone to kind of collaborate with them to look at okay well what can we do How can we determine what's the best plan for us to make some changes? Um, And for these families too, we, we kind of toss out some possible changes. We have them really want to come up with ideas themselves. Sometimes we do have to toss out some ideas and say, well, do you think this would work for your family or is that not workable? We really want to generate a lot of alternatives for them because if they're coming up with the solutions, they're more likely to want to act on them themselves. It's not just, oh, doctor so-and-so said just do this, right? Action. These are families that are just ready to make the changes and they're ready to go head, um, um, head first in terms of trying something new to change the behavior. And here we really just assist the families, you know, we we do some of that problem solving with them. We look at potential obstacles for them making those changes because we want them to be successful. Once they're ready, once they're ready to, to move on making changes, we want them to feel success. We want them to set goals that are reasonable for them and achievable. Maintenance and relapse are really come, stages that come after the families have made the change. We want them, obviously, to continue making the change and continue the healthy behaviors that they've learned to do. They're usually a little bit more confident at this stage because they felt, oh, I've been able to do this. I'm really proud that we're now having three meals a day. I'm not skipping breakfast or I've eliminated soda from, from, from the house. So this is really building upon their self-efficacy. You know, oh, I can do this. I've done it. I feel proud, I can continue to do this. And we also look forward in terms of, well, how can we continue this? How can we continue these good health behaviors? Um, Sometimes stress is one of the things that really kind of make people go off the curve when they're making changes so if there's something really stressful going on in the family or with a child at school sometimes that will kind of make people go backwards you know regress in behavior so we also look at those things and how they can prevent those things from happen or if they've already happened maybe they have kind of regressed in some of the behavior how can we get them back on track they did it once how can we get them back um, with doing some of those healthy behaviors Okay, now you guys have a, a, a handout that has a little bit about what we call motivational interviewing and it's a style that can be used really for many, many people when you're dealing with people who want to make some type of change or are considering a type of change. It's, it's a style of um, or approach that really helps you connect with another person, um, establish rapport with them, establish a good uh, relationship with them. You're, you're going to be asking permission to discuss things that are sensitive with them. Like in our case, we're discussing childhood obesity. Um, we're discussing a lot of things that maybe ordinarily they wouldn't talk about with other people. You know, as far as like what's in your pantry, you know, or what 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 is your what is your dinner meal consist of. Um, We also are gonna be getting information for them to help them really come up with a collaborative plan. So we wanna be respectful in that. We want them to feel like they are having an active part of that process because at the end of the day when they leave our office, this is their plan for change. It's not ours, it's their plan. We want them to own it, we want them to feel confident in being able to make the changes. And some of those Uh, questions that we ask is really how important the change is to them. How motivated are they to make the change? And often we get, well, the child might be, I'm not very motivated, I don't know why I'm here. My mom brought me here. And mom is like, I'm super motivated. I am ready yesterday, right? Okay. We also want to know how confident they are to make the change because they can say, I'm really ready to change, but I'm not sure if I can do it, if I can do it alone or if I have enough support. Okay, so you have a version of the motivational um, interview checklist there. So I wanted just to kind of walk you through it, and you can think about this in terms of um, how you would use this with kids at your church or in your families. Um, And it just kind of outlines what we would normally do to um, um, the families that come into our program. So it's asking for for permission is usually the first step. Do you mind if we talk about this? You know, We're not just imposing what we want to talk about. Sometimes it's even, well, what would you like to talk about today? What are you concerned about? Um, A lot of times, too, we want to give them opportunity to explain what they know about whatever the concern is. So in our case, you know, a lot of the children already know I'm overweight. I'm I'm too big for my age is what they'll say sometimes. So we ask them, well, what, what do you think is wrong? You know, or what do you think your parents are concerned about? You know, to see how much they already know. And then as far as exploring change with the patient, we're looking at different things they may have already thought about and and why they can make the changes. What's important about making changes for them? We also wanna normalize and emphasize that this is not just them. Losing weight is a difficult thing. They're gonna be asked or they're gonna be a part of doing some things differently that will help them lose the weight, but it's gonna require that they know, hey, I'm not here by myself doing this on my own. We want to get the family on board. We want to be there too as, as, as help and support. We want to be able to set goals with them. And we want them to generate the goals. What do you think you can start working on? What is one goal that you can set for yourself today? How can you make sure when you go home or when you leave our office you're not going to forget the goal, right? Providing additional information is really just other things that they need to consider to maybe reaching their goal and being successful at that goal. We're gonna show a video here that we show a lot of our families, so bear with me. It's not important if you can't hear the sound, it's really the images, okay? No wonder our perception of beauty is distorted. (laughs) Our families love this, and our kids, um, a lot of them are very computer savvy, so they actually know how all this is done. Our parents sometimes are like, I didn't know that was possible. (laughs) Um, That was done as part of the Dove campaign, Dove, the soap company campaign for beauty, um, to, uh, you know, highlight. Uh, what media does and really to present some healthier images of people and they did a campaign specifically with women of all different shapes and sizes and we like to promote that in terms of our program to our kids that you know we, all, we do all come in all different shapes sizes colors cultures families um, and we want them to be proud of themselves um, the media gives different messages in terms of what the ideal of beauty is and they will go to extreme lengths of you know the photoshopping for instance Um, So, even the most beautiful kid in terms of what we talk about with our kids, there's many child actors that they know about and they see in the programs they watch Um, and they're surprised like, okay, they never have a pimple or they never have a bad hair day, but that's because they have makeup artists and they have hair people and they're in the makeup chair for two hours, right? Do you think they really look like that in real life if you were to see them at Disney World or at the park, right? So we talk a lot about that. We talk about uh, what what, uh, media tries to tell us about what's beautiful. And they want you to buy products, you know? That's why, the, the makeup commercials, and you see the flawless faces, right? But is that what we really look like in real life? Right? Okay. So for this one, one thing we try to encourage other families, and this goes back to the family meal concept, uh, there's something called Table Topics, and I put the website up there. You can actually create your own, and kids are really creative about this. You can do this in youth groups and church groups. I've done this in, um, I was a leader for Girl Scouts, so we did this um, amongst the campfire, and it was really fun um, having them come up with different topics to just generate conversation. And really to find out more about the people, whether it's in a family or if you're in a youth group, it really gives you a lot of good conversation, and you can find out more things about people that you didn't know about. Okay.
0: Thank you. Okay. Uh, oh, here it is. Okay. So, um, what what can I do? What can we do as youth leaders and being involved in in the church and ministry for our kids and First and foremost, we need to make it fun, engaging, exciting. The kids are are more than likely to really just jump in head first and become really engaged when uh, when you make it that way. Be an example, of course, we've heard that several times. Along those same lines is to get active together. The kids, you know, if you tell them go exercise and yet you're sitting there yourself, doesn't speak very loudly right to them about actually being active and being healthy for the rest of their lives so it's actually getting active and and doing everything together that way with pathfinders health ministries departments you can make a a start you know fitness teams and um, youth uh, exercise teams in your in your church doing healthy cooking demonstrations chef Julio Barilla is here and he's got his uh his um his his uh stand there and he's actually uh done cooking demonstrations down in Miami and um, you can have if you're here in Orlando there's actually the Healthy 100 chef at Florida Hospital as well that's available and encourage to get the whole family involved if only the kids are wanting to change and you'd be surprised actually how many times the kids will actually change the family first but it's much, much easier if the whole family is engaged and doing this together. On top of the fact that it's really, um, the best thing is really for the kids to, um, let's just say you have a family with a child who's overweight and a child who is not. It's very typical. So often than not, the family sometimes the parents will actually have let's say a quote-unquote diet for the overweight child and then a regular diet or they can choose whatever for the other for the other not heavy child and so but really the whole family needs to be eating the same healthy way and not just pinpointing the overweight child so just to kind of um, give you an idea a little bit more about our program we're winding down now and um, you've heard some of our outcomes and, and some of the exciting things that are happening to the families here, but we really try to get hands-on with the families to really help them to know how, how really am I going to make this change? And one of the things we do is we go together to the grocery store with them, and we do scavenger hunts with the kids and the family. So the parents and the kids partner together, and by the time they're done, they've learned about label reading, how to label read. They've learned about different marketing techniques and how the media and marketing and all of that affects where it is that things are sometimes placed on the grocery store so for example the cereals that are placed the especially the sugary colorful ones are placed at the eye level of the strategic I have a four and a half almost five-year-old and you better believe that he just woo, automatically goes to those colorful ones so it's a matter of teaching the families and the parents to be alert and aware of what's going on before even going to the grocery store and knowing it just it's a lot of tools Um, workshops and sitting together and doing different things one of the main things that we love to do is to have the kids be hands-on that's the best way that they learn and it's the most memorable for them and that's how changes are going to happen so a lot of this has to do with gardening we don't have a plot of land at this point in time yet, but that's okay because we have pots and we have dirt and we have stuff that we can do either in the office or outside, so the kids have learned about herb gardening. They have learned about butterfly gardening. They have learned about sprouting, and um, Tamara's grown some carrots in her place, and um, what, um, so the rubs, that's right, so different different um, aromatic aromatic herbs and spices so it's really for them to really understand what comes from the ground right and how they can also incorporate it into their lives and into their healthy foods right and, food and healthy food choices cooking uh, again hands-on the kids are much more likely to eat a green pepper or red pepper that they just grew put it on the cutting board and input and it as part of their as part of their meal, so um, that's another another thing that we do exercising together. This is the medical workshop where the kids uh, and I get together and we use a body model like this one. This one actually has the intestines out but it's about actually learning about how a healthy body works and what happens when it's not at the healthiest. One of The things that we found is the more information that we give kids they just take it and run with it and especially about human bodies. So we try to really expand on that and on their natural curiosity for how bodies work. Healthy 100 was an initiative that started in Florida hospitals several months, several years ago. And again, it goes back to the beginning where we talked about how the the lifestyles that we have these days and age in general is not allowing us to live to 100 years of age or to really have quality of life. So one of the things that we ask our children to encourage them to get to that healthy 100 years of age is we ask them, well, what do you want to do when you turn 100? And these are some of the neat things that um, that they've said. Some want to help other people. Others want to go to Ireland and or be it missionaries or astronauts or go bungee jumping or move around like I'm still young that's a that's a nice practical one so we have them write it on a shirt as well and we've got these in the office as well included in your in your packet there are just different resources that are very kid-friendly very child-friendly and so that the children maybe it can help you to help other children to learn how to grow up healthy and with positive uh, healthy attitudes towards healthier lifestyles and it continues as well. So we wanted to just thank you very much for having us here. We are here to answer any questions. We are, are very um, delighted that you chose to be with us for three hours this morning. So if you have any questions, anything at all, um, we're, we'd be delighted to talk to you. Thank you very much for being with us here this morning.
3: This media was produced by Audioverse. For the NAD Health Summit If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit Please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons Please visit www.audioverse.org